I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it is on page 1010. Page 1010 is where we will be tonight. Hebrews chapter 13. Has anybody here ever had a bad boss? Riley, put your hand down. I'm sure you have at some point in time had a bad boss. Have you ever had a good boss? Riley, yeah, back up. I'm sure you've had a good boss. Was there a difference that you could notice? I'm sure there was, right? We all want to have a good boss, but let me ask, was there a difference in you between those two events, the good boss and the bad boss? I know in my experience, I've had good bosses and I've had bad bosses, and I certainly had a better time with a good boss. I was more productive, I enjoyed my job more, uh, it was great. Of course it's good. I, my blessing here at Emmanuel Bible Church, having come on staff, is working for some excellent bosses. My first boss when I came on staff here at Emmanuel Bible Church was Tom Joyce. If you've never worked for Tom Joyce, it is an experience. Uh, the first time I was ever introduced to Tom as my boss, I went and knocked on his door. I said, hey Tom, uh... I was wondering if maybe uh, we could sit and have a chat. And Tom leaned back in his chair and looked at me and said, I have one question for you. If we both knew we were going to die today, and this is the only conversation we were going to have, is it worth having? <laughs> yes? Come in. He's a great boss. I love that. Good bosses are a wonderful thing. And we get that. We understand that that God has designed leadership to be a blessing for the people who are being led. That's just part of how God made leadership to work. And that's true, generally speaking, all over God's creation. When you have a good boss at work, it's a blessing to you. When you have a good coach on your team, it's a blessing to you. When you have good generals out in the field, it's a blessing to the troops below them. When you have good politicians, hypothetically, that would be a blessing to the people that were being led. Leadership is supposed to be a blessing. And that's true inside the church as well. God designed leadership to be a blessing for the church. Leadership is part of how God designed his church to function. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4 that Jesus Christ ascended on high and he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and those gifts he names a few verses later as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. That leaders were given by Jesus to his bride, the church, as a blessing. That's how the Bible describes leadership inside the church. These shepherds and overseers who are engaged in what Paul calls the noble task of leading God's people. But the reality is leadership is a two-way street. No doubt the scripture speaks volumes about those people who would lead inside the church. There are passage after passage after passage speaking about the leaders, about their calling to leadership, 
uh, about their qualifications for leadership, spiritual qualifications and, and moral and character qualifications. Uh, the scripture speaks about the responsibilities for leaders inside the church. It speaks about the accountability of leaders inside the church. But the scripture is not silent also about those who are being led. Even as the Bible shows us what it looks like to lead well, the scripture shows us what it looks like to be led well. And Hebrews 13 is just such a passage. Verses 17 through 19. Let's read them together now. The author begins. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clean conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Thus reads the word of God. Now, Hebrews is a letter about Jesus. Actually, it's a sermon inside of a letter about Jesus. And ultimately, it's trying to make one point to the readers, to you, that Jesus is better. This author is writing primarily to Jewish Christians to show them that Jesus is better. He is a better son to the Father, offering a better salvation. Jesus is a better deliverer than Moses, bringing a better rest in his wake. He's a better high priest of a better covenant, offering a better sacrifice, guaranteeing you better promises. And Jesus makes us part of a better kingdom by covering us with his better blood. Jesus is better. That's the point of the sermon in Hebrews. But then, having preached his sermon, the author realizes suddenly that he was also writing a letter. And he includes, at the end of this sermon, some closing exhortations for the citizens of a better kingdom to remember. And in chapter 13, he kind of walks through these exhortations, things that we should be applying as citizens of Jesus' better kingdom. He says that we should show love to one another, that we should practice hospitality and care for those who are marginalized, to guard your marriages. And then he says in verse 7, to remember your leaders. That that's part of what being a better kingdom citizen is, is remembering your leaders. The author speaks very highly about church leaders here at the end of this letter, about the ultimate and better leader, Jesus. And the author speaks well of these church leaders, and he encourages Christians to think well of them too. He says, remember your leaders. And remember the ones who were speaking the truth to you and consider their conduct, he says. Think back to the way they have lived their lives honorably and, and, and blemish-free and, and, and imitate their faith in your own life. He's lifting up these leaders as a positive example to be remembered and, and, and cared about. 
And that all sounds pretty pleasant for us as Christians in a church. I'd love to remember my leaders. I'd love to consider their conduct. I'd love to imitate their faith. But then you get to verse 17. And it starts to rub us the wrong way a little bit. I'm sorry, obey them? Submit to them? Whoa, what is that all about? Our little American tendencies start to flare up and we instinctively start looking for tea to throw into harbors when people tell us that we have to obey and submit. It just seems so counter-everything to us. But the author of Hebrews is helping us to see and consider, well, what does it look like to be led well? What does it look like to sit under leadership? Or I might ask the question this way, what are our responsibilities as those being led toward our leaders that God has appointed over us. Now, you may be here tonight under false pretenses. If you came this morning, Ryan told you to come because I was going to talk about church membership. Sort of. What are we talking about? What it means and what it looks like to live with leaders. And we're only going to be looking at a small section here, honestly, the, the hard section of this. And it breaks into two pieces. When it comes to our leaders that God has appointed in the church, we should live under them patiently and lift them up prayerfully. That's our responsibility on the two-way street of church leadership. First, we live under them patiently, he says. Look again at verse 17. The author writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I'm going to get to the two verbs in just a second, but let's start with the word leader. It's actually kind of a problematic word for me because he, he doesn't use the word elder. Boy, that's a lot easier to deal with. And he doesn't use the word pastor. If he used the word elder or the word pastor, it'd be really easy for me to say, oh, this is talking about how you respond to the offices of church leadership appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesians 4, pastor teachers. But frustratingly, that's not the word he used. He just uses the word for leaders. It's a generic word. And it's simply just the word for a person who's been entrusted with leadership. And I know that's a very bad definition, but that's just what the word means. It's a person who's responsible for providing direction, who is responsible for overseeing. It's the person who's responsible for taking care of something. It's, it's just a very broad word. And the author here is saying, hey, you should be aware of those people. And notice he always uses this word in the plural, the scripture always speaks about leadership inside the church in the plurality. Uh, the Bible does not have this idea that any church is supposed to be led by one like charismatic rock star with a fantastic mustache and a blue knit sweater. Like That's not the way the church is supposed to function. It's always this cadre of faithful shepherds coming together to do the work of caring for the flock. But he uses the word very broadly, and I think it's appropriate for us to think of the word fairly broadly. 
the only actual defining quality we get about who these leaders would be is back in verse 7 that I alluded to just a minute ago. Remember your leaders, he said, those who spoke the word of God to you. Now, certainly that includes elders, and certainly that includes pastors, but I think it's a broader word than that. This is how we react to any leaders in the church who are speaking God's word to us. But most notably, most primarily, it is speaking about elders and pastors. Now, leadership is a word that we like the idea of, we just don't actually like the boots on the ground of. Contrary to a lot of our default attitudes, we should actually want someone to exercise leadership over us because it's a good thing. God designed it to be a good thing. And scripture never shies away from the idea of leadership as a virtuous design, as a good thing. When Paul is writing to his protege Timothy, he says, hey, appoint elders in all the cities. And he also writes that the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching. Scripture is always speaking of shepherds, of leaders, of pastors, of elders who do their job well as honorable and good and noble. And so the author here seems to be referring to those people who have led you in the church through their teaching and through their preaching to see the better Jesus, who are bringing that Jesus to your eyes by opening up the scriptures for you. And that makes a lot of sense when you pause and look a little more closely at the first of the commands you actually get. Obey. This is what the author says you should do for those leaders who are opening up the scriptures and fixing your eyes on the better Jesus. You should obey them. And he chooses a very particular word there, obey. It's a peculiar word. It's not the normal word for obey. I have three daughters and a six-month-old puppy. All right? When I say obey, I am thinking about instant, unquestioning adherence to authority. Sit, stay, go to bed. Sometimes I talk to the dog, too. All right, that's what I think of for obey. I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. When I hear the word obey, that's what it means to me. Instant, willing obedience to orders. But that is not what the word obey means in Hebrews 13, verse 17. He picked a different word than instant, willing obedience to orders. He picked the word that means let them persuade you. This is the word for listen to them and let them convince you. In fact, the word itself, you can almost hear uh, our, our English version, pathesthai, pathos, let them exhort you and come under their instruction. Allow them to convince you. Listen to them and listen to their teaching. And here is where leadership in the church starts to differ pretty significantly from leadership outside of the church. Outside of the church, leadership almost always derives from authority and power. That's where leadership 
comes from and flows from and has its ability to exercise its responsibilities from authority and from power. Your boss leads you because he gives you paychecks and can stop doing that. He can fire you and send you home. So you listen to what he has to say. Or, when I was in the Marine Corps, leadership meant there was a gunnery sergeant somewhere in a tree line nearby. I could be fixed if I had a problem, unless the Commandant of the Marine Corps happens to be here tonight, in which case I'm talking about counseling sheets and non-judicial punishments. That's almost always where leadership outside of the church comes from, the ability to exercise some kind of authority over you or to have some sort of strength and power over you, but that is not where leadership inside the church comes from. Leadership inside the church flows from truth. That's church leadership. Church leaders don't have leadership by virtue of uh, climbing uh, the kind of corporate ecclesiastical ladder of apostolic secession and then being able to withhold or, 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 or chastise. That, that's not how you become a leader in the church. That's not church leadership. And contrary to so much leadership in the world, church leadership is not about charisma or personality or strength of, of will. That, that's not really where church leadership comes from. Not that it's bad to be charismatic. Not that it's bad to have a, 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 a leader a mindset, but that's just not what we're talking about. Leadership in the church flows from rightly handling the word of truth. That's where leaders are found. That's what he said in verse 7. Remember your leaders. Who are those guys? Oh, that's right. The ones who spoke the word of God to you. So Christian leaders in the church are those people who open up the word rightly, who fix your eyes on it, and then compel you to live by it. Church leaders are the people who are showing you Jesus in the scriptures. And that implies a kind of proximity to you. The ability to, to interact with you regularly and sit you down and convince you, persuade you, reason with you if necessary. Paul tells Timothy to be patient with those who are wrong and patiently enduring evil for people who are not being persuaded. This regular, consistent discipleship in the word and wrestling with the text and seeking to convince you of the things that are true. And our responsibility as people being led in the church is to let them persuade us. If they're rightly handling the word of truth, we should listen to them. The word here is obey. But he also says submit. Obey and submit. And submit is the more traditional understanding of obey. This is the word for following the directions of an authority figure. It's a military word. That's how it was used outside of the Bible. Uh, it's this habitual readiness to comply. Instructions, directions, commands have been given, and your default setting is to obey them. But I think the order of these imperatives is very significant for us in Hebrews 13. It is good. It is appropriate. I would say it's even commanded for us to let those leaders who are handling the truth well and showing us Jesus well to then direct you in how to follow that truth well. They should give directions. Now, this is absolutely not a license for authoritarianism. In fact, we read Matthew 20 to start our worship service tonight. 
Leadership in the church looks very different from leadership in the world. Not only because we have a different source, truth versus power, but because we have a different shape that Jesus extols, not authoritarian, uh, George Patton-style uh, uh, dictates from on high. Wouldn't it be cool if an American flag just fell down right behind me? Then? That's not what leadership looks like in the church. Rather, it looks like serving and, and, and considering yourself least and becoming a slave to the people that you would seek to lead. That's the kind of leadership the church has. So yes, leaders in the church do issue directions, but not orders. None of the pastors, none of the elders here stand in the pulpit and issue orders to you. But we should, and you should want us to offer direction and exhortation and encouragement and correction and when necessary, even rebukes. Aren't those the very things that scripture is profitable for? Teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness? If leaders are defined as the people who are showing you Christ, they are also called to be the people who are shaping you into Christ-likeness. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4, that when Jesus gave those gifts, among whom are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers, that they were given for the equipping of the saints, that's you guys, for the work of service, to the building up of the body, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's what leaders have been given to the church to do to show you Jesus and open your eyes to the truth that's found in the scriptures so that you can grow more like Jesus by, a fo by following that. And so the appropriate command here is to obey and to submit. This is our part of the two-way street, to listen and let them lead you. But the author doesn't just leave it there. He gives us some reasons. I think he realizes that this is going to be a hard command for us to follow, so he gives us reasons. Three reasons, actually, that he gives us why you should live under your leaders patiently. The first, he says, is the weight of the task that they have been entrusted with. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Leadership in the church does exercise a divine authority that flows from a divine responsibility that necessitates a divine accountability. What do I mean by that? Well, the responsibility that leaders have in the church is that we have to keep watch over your souls. That, that our job is to be vigilant. Our job is to stay awake all night. That's what this is, this word keeping watch. It's a, it's a shepherding word. You all know this because you saw Charlie Brown and lo, shepherds were in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. That's what shepherds do. They stay up and they look out for the people, for the flock that's been entrusted to their care. And that's what the author is saying that the leaders in the church are doing as well. Staying up, keeping watch, and safeguarding those who've been entrusted to their care. And just like shepherds have to care about the health and the safety of their sheep, so also do the leaders inside the church care about the health and the safety of their sheep. Are they eating well? Are they resting well? Are they growing? Are they exercising? Well, that might be what a Bethlehem shepherd is worried about. But the shepherd in the church is worried about the same things. Are they eating well? What, what kind of teaching are they getting? Is this healthy, good, nourishing teaching or is it false teaching? Are they, are they being comforted? Are they growing in sanctification? Are they serving and exercising the gifts that God has given them? The same kinds of concerns. And not only are they worried about the health of the flock, but the safety of the flock. 
We instinctively, all of us, memorized Psalm 23 at some point in our Christian life, and we know that one of the things the shepherd does is not only lead and, and care for them, but take them through the valley of the shadow of death, where his rod and his staff are comforting them. Because there are predators out there that want to eat them, and there are dangerous paths that they're going to walk down. And that's also what the leaders in the church are doing. There are wolves that want to devour you. Jesus said that was going to happen. Paul said that was going to happen. And guess what? It's happening. There are false teachers that want to devour Christians all the time. And it's the responsibility of leaders to keep up, stay awake, be vigilant, and look for those predators that want to devour you. And they know that there's going to be tricky, dangerous paths that you're going to tread. When Christians start to flirt with false teaching and false doctrine and and, and flirt with heresy, it's the leader's responsibility to have his eyes open and to see that they're near the edge and bring them back to safety. That's what the job is, and that's a heavy task because we're not just looking out for, you know, little fluffy sheeps that turn into delicious mutton chops. That's not the totality of responsibility because we're caring for souls, your souls, Spiritual well-being is our concern, not to the exclusion of other things going on in your life, but the primary thing that we're concerned about, how is your soul? Is it healthy? Is it safe? Is it growing? That's the responsibility that leaders in the church are entrusted with, and with that responsibility comes a divine accountability. They are those who are keeping watch like people who will have to give an account someday. The chief shepherd is gonna come back and ask, how did you take care of the little lambs I entrusted to you for a little while? There's gonna be an eschatological performance review. And Jeremiah warns anyone who would think about becoming a bad shepherd, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. Someday, every one of the elders at Emmanuel Bible Church is going to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll have to give an account for your soul. How did we care for you? How did we keep you away from the dangerous predators that wanted to destroy you and the false teaching that wanted to ensnare you? How did we encourage you towards healthy Christian living? In eyes that shine like fire and a voice that sounds like rushing waterfalls is going to demand an account of the leaders. That's a pretty heavy task. And so for that reason, he says, let them lead you well. Make their job easy. That's the second reason he gives. Because not only is it a heavy task, it's a hard task. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. The ESV leaves out the so that, which is unfortunate. Boo, ESV. But the good old Nasby tells you there's a so that there. There's a because. The way you obey and submit or do not obey and submit will directly affect the joy or the groaning that the leaders in your church will have in their working out their task. And there is joy in pastoral leadership. There's joy in being that kind of responsible shepherd. It's a privilege. But there can be groaning too. And the implication of this verse is that those being led bear a responsibility for the way that works out in the life of their pastors and their leaders. Do you want 
your pastors to be joyful in their work? Be quick to listen. Do you want them to groan? Be quick to argue. Do you want them to have joy? Be diligent to apply the things you're learning. Do you want them to groan? Then be reluctant to respond to what they're saying. Hey, we talked about that Bible study. Uh, are you going to come? Uh, you know, maybe next week. I don't know. The Dallas Cowboys are going to lose in the playoffs, and so I have to be there to watch that. Do you want them to have joy in pastoral leadership? Then be present and be engaged. You want them to groan? Just kind of wander in and out of life at the church and be kind of semi-detached while it's going on. You know, sitting in the, the pew, but having ESPN updating you as you go through. You want them to have joy in leading you and watching over your soul? Be open with them and honest with them and share what's actually going on in your life. This is why pastors go into pastoral ministry, because we love you and we want to care about what's actually going on. Do you want them to groan? And just keep everything superficial. Keep all your sins secret. Keep all your worries and your fears and your doubts tucked away. Never actually engage with them and let them just rot you out. Pastoral leadership's a hard job. It's a joyful job, it's a wonderful job, but it's hard. You guys already know this. You know how difficult it is to keep watch over your own soul. You know, Leviticus has destroyed so many Bible reading plans. You guys instinctively know it's kind of hard to keep up with spiritual disciplines, and it's kind of challenging sometimes to fall back into a sin that you thought you had uh, uh, put behind you, and you know that's difficult. Imagine doing it for... 99 or 100 or 101. So he says, obey and submit to make their job joyful. And third reason, the third reason he gives is the effect it's going to have on your task. Obey your leaders, submit to them, and let them do that with joy and not groaning because that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews is always pointing you to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, the better Jesus, and his better kingdom, and his better and soon coming. And that Jesus, the very same Jesus, who, who ripped out the veil and broke open the Holy of Holies and pours out his love and his mercy for you on the cross, that same Jesus has given you leaders and for the purpose of your spiritual growth. He loves you enough to give you leaders that will point you towards his truth and point you towards righteousness and encourage you in that direction. And when you make their task hard, when you fill it full of groaning, when you distance yourself from their instruction and you insulate yourself from their guidance, then you are handicapping the effect of their labor for your benefit. If you want to grow in grace, and I presume everyone that comes on Sunday night wants to grow in grace, then you want a shepherd to help you. I know I want a shepherd to help me. And that's what the man of God is supposed to do. That's why he's been equipped with the word of God to do that, to teach and reprove and correct and to train you in righteousness. All of those things or his responsibility towards you. And when you make it hard for him to do that, to teach and reprove and correct and to train, you're the one suffering. It will be of 
no advantage to you. And incidentally, because all four of those things are the responsibility of those who are teaching God's word to you, that's why you just can't get by with YouTube preachers. I mean, it's hard to believe sometimes, but I do have a, a, an ounce of humility in me. I recognize that there are a lot better preachers on the planet. One of them sitting on the front row right now, staring at me. I know that you can go right now to YouTube and type in John Piper or, you know, R.C. Sproul and, and get world-class instruction. But those guys don't know you. And they don't see the sin you're dealing with. And they don't see the stumbling blocks that you have in front of you. And they don't see the sin that so easily entangles and encumbers you that you're dragging behind you. And that's why the best YouTube pastor on the planet can do 25% of the job. If you want to grow in grace, and I know you do, then you want a shepherd there. I would encourage you to find one. So the first half of what we're called to do as those being led is to live under the leadership that God has entrusted you to and given you as a gift. But that's not all wait, there's more. We're called not only to live under them, but to lift them up. Leaders also need to be lifted up prayerfully. Verse 18, pray for us, the author says. Notice he's shifted now into the first person. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I could be restored to you the sooner. Spiritual leadership is a spiritual exercise and it requires spiritual support. Even Moses needed someone to hold his arms off every once in a while. Your leaders need your prayer. And God has ordained to use prayer as the means that he has chosen to meet this need. The spiritual encouragement and spiritual strengthening that your leaders need comes as a response to the prayer that you give on their behalf. And this author is speaking here in the first person, and he's addressing his own integrity. He's convinced that he has a good conscience. And he's convinced that he has good motives, a desire to act honorably. He's done his best. He desires to do his best. He's not a slacker, loser villain who's hanging out on his iPad all day and goofing off and then flying in to preach a sermon and bounce back out. He's in there in the trenches. And yet he still knows he needs prayer to do this work. So pray for your leaders. Lift them up regularly and cheerfully. Pray for them not only in their teaching, but also in their example. Christian leadership is by word and example. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their faith and their way of life. So he asks for prayer. And if this is Paul who's writing this, and I think it's Paul who wrote this, but don't. If Paul is the one who wrote this, then he asked for this kind of prayer all the time. Pray that I would teach better and pray that I would not be disqualified. Pray that I would teach what God's word says and live what I teach. And then to, to play that out, he offers a very specific prayer request right here in verse 19. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He has a travel need. He wants to come back and he invites them to pray to that end. And I think that's a wonderful way to respond 
to Hebrews chapter 13. So I am going to propose doing something that's a little out of the ordinary. But I'm going to ask you to just follow my lead here. That's okay. Jesse's out of town. And while the cat is away, the mice will pray. So here's what I am proposing we do. I am proposing that we spend a few minutes here as a congregation praying for the leaders that God has entrusted you to. Now, I said at the beginning that leaders is a pretty broadly defined term. I, I, I think it doesn't just mean elders. I think it means more than that, but at an absolute minimum, it means the elders that God has entrusted your care to. And so I put up on this slide our current Emmanuel Bible, Bible Church elders. They're ranked both by alphabetical and cool factor. Sorry, Kyle. So here's what I'm actually encouraging you to do. We have a few minutes. I invite you to circle up there in your pew. We do this all the time at staff devotions, so I know it can be done. And pick one or two of these elders and pray for them by name. Pray that God would give them the strength they need to keep watch over your soul. Pray that God would safeguard their teaching and instruction. That God would give them the wisdom and the oversight and the insight necessary, the illumination of the text necessary to teach and reprove and correct and to train you well. Pray that they would have both a good conscience and good conduct. We're not going to do this for too terribly long. I invite you to take, what do you think, Dan? 15 minutes. 10 minutes. I saw that nod. 10 minutes. So take 10 minutes with the persons there around you. Pick a couple of these elders and pray for them. And if one of these elders is in your group, you know who to pray for. All right, in, in 10 minutes, Dan will come up and lead us in our closing hymn. And now, for a parting word from Pastor Jesse Johnson. Thanks for joining us. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I would love to see you at Emmanuel Bible Church. For more information on our church or our current service times, go to ibc.church. For more information about the Master Seminary and their Washington, D.C. location, go to tms.edu. I hope this resource has been a blessing to you, and it helps you seek the Lord daily, serve others around you, and share the gospel with boldness.